You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Glad you were able to join us today. Uh, life as we know it has changed. Uh, just get on the news or social media and you will see schools that are canceled, uh, professional sports suspended, and pretty much any and every kind of event is being canceled as we try to stop the spread of COVID-19. And what I've heard just from different people is no matter who you are or how old you are, um, we've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, I mean, when you get on the news, you see pictures, for example, of people who are being uh, pushed into an ambulance by medical professionals who are wearing hazmat suits. Uh, we hear rumors of things like a possible nationwide shutdown or an economical collapse. And therefore, it's in the midst of this new kind of normal. I think the temptation for us, kind of the the the, the, the natural instinct is just to panic. Um, I think of this man from Tennessee who recently bought 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and marked them up three to four times the regular cost in order to make money off of people who are living in fear. I think of this picture from Time Magazine where you see a line of people that are wrapped around this gun and ammo shop in California. So people now, they're not just panic buying toilet paper. Um, we're panic buying guns and ammunition in order to protect ourselves. And so I think it's safe to say uh, we find ourselves this morning not only in the midst of a viral epidemic, but also an anxiety epidemic. And people from all walks of life, they're freaking out and, and they're really beginning to, to wonder, what should I do next? Uh, I mean, uh, should I stockpile a whole bunch of groceries? Um, should I start rationing out the toilet paper? Should I shave my beard? I, I mean, what in the world should my response be when it seems like the world is falling apart. And it is with that question on our minds this morning, I just want to share with you briefly a few ways I believe God is calling us to respond in this season, a few very simple yet profound opportunities that I believe God is calling you and I to take advantage of in a time of the coronavirus. And in the time of the coronavirus, I believe that first off, we are being given an opportunity for deep examination. You know, the truth is none of us really know how this is going to play out. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know when are schools going to reopen, when as a church are we going to be able to gather again. We don't know a lot, but what we do know is that life as we once experienced it has been greatly disrupted. And what I'll submit to you this morning is that it's in the middle of the disruption and the uncertainty of life that I believe we now have a chance to step back from our normal everyday, incredibly busy lives and wrestle with some really deep and necessary questions that we should have been wrestling with all along. Richard Foster says this, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for a deep people. 
I was listening to a pastor who was recently telling a story about a vacation that he went on with his family, and they were at a cabin, and there was a pond behind the cabin with a bunch of carp in the pond. And he said he was inside, he was reading his book, and all of a sudden he hears his kids in the backyard by this pond just freaking out. So he looked out the window, and apparently this big carp had somehow flipped out of the water and was on the edge of the pond, kind of in the shallows of the water, just, you know, gasping, like trying not to drown. And so uh, this pastor on the story, he said, you know, me being the hero father that I am, I went and I grabbed a big stick, and I began to try to flip the carp back into the pond, which clearly wasn't working and made his kids cry even more. So his kids, he said, literally began to cup their hands and try to get pond water and throw it on the fish to keep it from drowning. And so he said, Next, what he decided to do is he found a lid to a trash can, he scooped up the carp, and then he chunked it into the deep end of the pond. He said at first, the, the carp just kind of splattered there in the water and just floated. But he said eventually what happened is he noticed the fish being re-energized and vitalized by the depth of the water eventually was brought back to life and began to swim away. He said that he then walked inside his house and he began to reflect on this bizarre just occasion. He said he felt the Lord speak to him. And here's what he said. He said that he believed God spoke to his heart and said the following, the church is like that carp, mature, distinguished, and impressive. She's lived long, fought hard, and eaten well, but she has now been lured out of the deep open waters. Here she is stuck in the mud and suffocating. Occasional momentary relief from the occasional spiritual watering cannot save her. Her only hope now is to get back to the water, back to the deep. I think if we can be honest, because of the comfortable lifestyle we have been living in our country, many of us have been stranded in the shallows of society for far too long. And yes, we have been sprinkled from time to time with the spiritual water, but we are flopping around. We've been drowning in this kind of religious, legalistic air, and that is why many of us today are weary and exhausted. And I truly believe that now is a time when our lives have been disrupted like this, that God wants to take you and I from floundering to flourishing. And I believe that he wants to do so by taking us out of the shallowness of our society that we have been swimming in. And he wants to move us into the deep places, into the places where our heart is, where our motives are, where our passions are. And therefore, we're being given an opportunity right now to discover, maybe some of us for the first time, whether or not your faith has been built on a firm foundation or just religious scaffolding. There have been times this past week where, I'll be honest, my own heart has been filled with anxiety. There have been times where I've experienced myself a toxic fear that has robbed me of peace and joy. And as a result, I myself have had to do some serious soul-searching. I've had to wrestle with questions like, what really matters to me? What do I care about the most? And do I really even believe what I have been preaching? I think of words, uh, the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, where he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I've read that verse this past week, and there's times where I've thought to myself, like, yes, I believe that. Jesus gives me a peace that the world knows nothing about. But then there's other times where I've noticed, again, this anxiety bubbling up in my life. And I've had to really ask myself, do I believe Jesus is who he says he is? And for some of you, listen, that's where you are 
right now. You're filled with fear and anxiety, right? Because of the coronavirus and all the uncertainties that it brings. And it's in this moment, maybe for the first time, you are going to be able to ask yourself this question. Is my life built on Jesus Christ or has it been built on someone or something other than him that can be taken away from me in a moment's notice? And the invitation from God today is if you discover that, yes, I've been building my life on a shaky foundation. Here's the invitation to you today. God is calling you and me to reset our lives and to rebuild everything that we have around him. The firm foundation who alone can sustain us through every storm that we may face. You know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 131, and it's a psalm that's especially meant a lot to me this week because it's a psalm that talks about the importance of weaning ourselves off the things of the world for the purpose of cultivating a deeper dependence on the Lord. And here is what the psalm says. David says, My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things that are too wonderful for me. So David is saying here, I don't understand everything that's going on, and I'm not even going to try to understand all of it. Verse 2, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. This is one of those moments where I believe God is weaning us off of the superficial things of the world, the things that cannot satisfy and fulfill us. He is disrupting our lives, and again, he's doing it because he wants to move us from floundering to flourishing. And so this is the first opportunity we have before us. It's an opportunity for a deeper examination. But then secondly, we also, in the time of the coronavirus, not only have a time for deeper examination, but we also have a time for, I believe, stronger relational connection. You know, it's interesting um, that those Americans, we do not typically do relationships well, uh, especially deep relationships. If you watch the news, what you're going to discover is we actually are having a very hard time with this whole social distancing thing. We're not doing this isolation thing very well. And according to the most recent statistics, Americans now, because of the social distancing, are experiencing a much higher rate of loneliness and anxiety. And in the past, I think we've been able to, you know, work our jobs and and stick to our overly busy schedules as a way of distracting us from our God-given need for community. But now, more than ever, I think we're going to see just how much we really need one another. And therefore, I believe it's in the time of the coronavirus, we're actually going to have a chance to now step into uh, the reality that life really does work better when we are connected. You know, one of the biggest struggles that uh, I've had as a pastor is trying to convince hyper-individualistic Americans that we really are children of God. And if we're children of God, we're brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, and this is something that's been very hard for us to wrap our minds around. But for the early church, we actually see something much different. Because in Acts chapter 2, this is a snapshot of the very first church. And, and here's what we read in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
This is such a beautiful picture of what it means to be the church. And if you notice, it's not just a group of people who are committed to a weekly Sunday gathering. This is a family who is deeply committed to one another. These are brothers and sisters in the faith who are setting aside their needs for the sake of meeting the needs of others. And I truly believe, listen, it's in this time that we are now in where the enemy is going to be doing whatever he can to disintegrate and divide the church, that we are to see this as an opportunity more than ever before to strengthen not only our relationship with God, but with one another. And I know, again, there's this whole social distancing thing, and we have to stay isolated, but still, through whatever means, through Zoom calls, through text, through phone, and then again, when we come together in person, let's do everything we can to build and deepen our relational connections. Third, we see that this is not only an opportunity in the time of the coronavirus for deeper examination. It's not only an opportunity we have now for relational connection, but it's also an opportunity for sacrificial mission. You know, we use missional language all the time in our church. We say that we are a church that is primarily organized around missional communities. We talk about missional this and missional that. And in the weeks and months to come, we are going to have an opportunity to practice this idea of being missional more than ever before. And I think we're going to be able to do this in two primary ways. The first way I think we'll be able to practice sacrificial mission is we are going to have fresh opportunities to share the gospel with others. We are going to have fresh opportunities to open up our mouths and tell people the good news about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, because of the coronavirus, um, people are now being forced to deal with the reality that we are all very fragile and very vulnerable. People are now having to think about the fact that whether it's because of COVID-19 or something else, guess what? One day, every one of us really will get sick and we will die. And that is not because our health system is going to fail us. That's because we are human beings. And eventually, we come from the dust and we will return to the dust. And because people are now going to be confronted with this more than ever before, how weak and needy we are, right? people are going to be looking for a Savior, looking for someone or something to rescue them and give them the hope they desperately need. And as the church, we want to look for opportunities to use our social platforms to point other people to Jesus. We want to be a bold witness. We talked last year about having gospel conversations with a thousand different people who are far from God. And this year, we need to amp that up. We need to be sharing the gospel with anybody who is willing to listen. And we need to offer to them the unshakable living hope that is found only in Christ. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4 It says when the church was facing a crisis and everyone had to flee because of persecution, it says that those who had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. And the result of that in Acts chapter 8, verse 8, it says there was great joy in the city. With that being said, because we want great joy to fill our city, we need to take advantage of this new opportunity to use our social structures and our platforms to proclaim the good news of Jesus, who I'm telling you are going to be more open than ever before to hear the news. Listen to what Mark Sayers says in his book, The Reappearing Church. This is a book we read with our staff last year, and I'm going back and rereading it now. But he says this, The secularist life script, and that just means the narrative that the world is feeding us, telling us about, hey, this is the way life works best. The secularist life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates insulation against faith. 
However, this insulation is not as secure as it may seem. For example, during the global financial crisis of 2008, the global banking system came terrifyingly close to a catastrophic worldwide Great Depression, which would have fundamentally changed the kind of lives we now live. Listen to how prophetic this next line is. Remember, this book came out last year. If we endured a global flu pandemic, like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal, um, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would be deeply shaken. Think about how different your life would be. Consider that you would have to readjust your life and how you would access community and relationships. Your lifestyle, your freedom, your approach to faith and meaning are shaped by large-scale factors, factors that are out of our control, which we assume to be stable and secure, but which in reality can change suddenly. He goes on to conclude this. The secularist life script, is dependent on crucial political, economic, and social factors being in place, elements that are becoming fragile, but they're opening up a new potential for renewal and revival in the West. And that is what we are seeing. People who have pushed off the big questions of life are now saying, wait a minute, hang on. Like, you mean I could lose all my money? Like, you mean I, my, my business could go away? My, all the stuff I've built up, some of my loved ones could go away? Like, what in the world have I been building my life on? And it is in these moments that we want to rush in with the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news about the kingdom of God and the hope for forgiveness and the freedom and the meaning that we have in Jesus. And so I would encourage you, pay attention in the weeks to come. Look for these new opportunities to reach out to people who have been placing their faith in someone or something other than Jesus. Begin to pray like never before for those who appear to be far from God. And I want to say this, by the way, to those of you who are watching, our staff, even this past week, were praying for those who may be watching this who find themselves in this boat. People who maybe prayed a prayer when they were a kid but honestly do not have a relationship with God. Maybe that's where some of you are right now as you watch this. If you can be honest, you would claim to be a Christian. You have been looking for happiness in your career or in money or in sex or in your kids' accomplishments, and you know it's not working. Maybe your kid accomplishes that thing or you get that extra you know, promotion or money, and for a while it feels good. But if you can be honest, it's like you're hitting a ceiling, and you feel like there has to be something beyond this. And the reason you feel that way is because there is. You were made for God. As the great Augustine says, you will never rest until you find rest in him. And so I would encourage you today to look to Jesus. The Bible tells us that we were born for God, but the problem is we, let's say this is you, were born and now we have sin and our sin separates us from God. And that's the bad news. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus to come and bear your sins on the cross. He then went to a grave, and whenever he rose from the dead, he left your sins there so that now when you trust in his life, death, and resurrection, you can have a relationship with God and experience the salvation and satisfaction that you are longing for. Some of you this morning, you do not have peace. And you need to cry out to God. And you need to ask for God not just to save you from hell, but to save you from a life of meaninglessness. And if you will do this, if you will turn from your sins and turn to him, listen, I don't care who you are or what you have done or have not done, God will make you new. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. He will give you a new heart and new affections and new meaning and new purpose. Today may be the day of salvation for some of you. And if it is, I would encourage you, hey, 
If you decide to give your life to Christ today, I personally would love to hear from you. And so you can email me. That's jared at crossingparagold.com. That's J-A-R-E-D at crossingparagold.com. Whether you've been in church your whole life or you have been in church in years, wherever you are, whatever you do, if you fully surrender your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about next steps and personally pray for you. You know, one of my big prayers right now is that millions of people will be able to say, I became a Christian during the coronavirus. That's what I'm praying for. And I encourage you as a church to join me in praying the same. So we have an opportunity right now, like never before, to share the gospel. But then secondly, I would say, as we think about sacrificial mission, we not only have an opportunity for gospel proclamation, we have an opportunity for gospel demonstration. We have an opportunity not just to tell people the good news about Jesus, but to show people the good news of Jesus with our hands. I remember back in 2006, when the entire town of Marmaduke was flattened by an F3 tornado. And um, it, it was a crazy thing. I, I went and, and kind of surveyed the land after the tornado, and you could literally stand on one side of the city and look across and see completely to the other side because everything had been flattened. And it was in this moment, it was incredible because within a couple hours of the tornado hitting Marmaduke, I worked at First Baptist Church at the time. I remember we opened up our building and our multi-ministry center. We, we lined the whole building with cots and we literally began to welcome people in who had lost their homes. And then other churches in the city began to do likewise. They began to partner with us and, and they brought in these portable showers and, and they provided, uh, they met medical needs and they provided food and they helped people fill out paperwork in order to put their lives back together. And in this beautiful and uh, just devastating moment, there was this beautiful picture of the church being the church so that those who are most vulnerable could have their needs met. And that's an opportunity we have before us right now. This is not a time for church PR. It's not a time for trying to make ourselves look better. This is a time where we as a church can come together and we can show people how good God really is. It is about serving in real and tangible ways so that your neighbors and those who are most vulnerable in our city can know what it looks and feels like to be loved by Jesus. And so again, we, I know, are in a very challenging time, but what a great opportunity we have before us right now. We have a unique opportunity, a unique opportunity for deeper examination, for stronger relational connection, and for sacrificial mission. With that being said, um, as the church, I want to encourage you quickly this morning to commit to four things, and then we'll be done. Four things, just in a lot of these opportunities that we have just talked about. And the first thing I would just say is this to the church, let's be helpful. Rather than griping or complaining or saying, woe is me, or thinking primarily about me, myself, and I, let's look for real opportunities to serve others. Let's not sit back and say, I'm sure somebody else will get it. But if you have an elderly neighbor, I would encourage you today to walk across the street and check on them. See how they're doing. See how you can pray for them. If you can go and pick up groceries for them. They're the most vulnerable right now to this pandemic. You have coworkers who are working from home. I'm telling you, they're going to feel very lonely and very scared. Reach out to them. Check in on them. See how they're doing. Again, I know we have this whole social distancing thing, but let's try to meet people where they are the best we can and love them to the best of our ability. On a practical level, I do want to say this and be very clear as a church. Um, we have recently launched two teams. We have launched a benevolent team and a care team. Our benevolent team, the reason they exist is if you get laid off work, if you're a part of this church and you get laid off or you find yourself in some sort of financial bond because of the coronavirus, uh, you can submit an online application, which we'll, uh, by the way, send out in a link later this week so you'll know where to access that. But you can submit a quick application. Our benevolent team will overlook that and seek to meet whatever needs they can financially to relieve some of the burden that you may experience as a result of COVID-19. 
We've also launched this COVID-19 care team, and they're already off and running. And basically, they've collected a, a list of the names of the most vulnerable in our community, our faith community, and um, they are making runs for them. They're going to the grocery store for them. They're picking up Lysol wipes for them. They're just trying to keep them from having to go out to the grocery store or wherever since they are the most at risk with the coronavirus. And so these are just a couple practical ways that we're seeking to meet needs. And you know whether or not you serve on one of these teams, my point is just this. Let's look for ways to meet needs. I have learned in the last 15 years of ministry, and this is free, by the way, um, people remember the most what you do in times of crisis. It does not so much matter about all the stuff that happens outside of that. If you do not show up in times of crisis, they remember that. And so let's be people that the best we can to show up when we are most needed. Secondly, I would say this, let's spend our time wisely. Because of the coronavirus, we now find ourselves with an unusual amount of margin in our lives, an unusual amount of free time that we did not have before. And as your pastors, we want to encourage you to leverage this time well. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're in a season right now where there are no soccer games. There are no baseball tournaments. Um, You can't go out and eat. Some of you can't even go to work. And it is in this time of disruptive margin, I would encourage you not to veg out, but to grow up. Some of you have theology questions that have been unanswered. Now's the time to figure that out. Some of you have books that you've been needing to read for the past weeks or months or even years. Now's the time to read them. And if you don't know what good books to read, I would encourage you to check out our Crossing Essential Reading List. Uh, we sent it out via Group Me. I think we can post it maybe later today on our uh, Facebook page. But grab a book from there. Maybe go back and work through your timeline. And maybe you'll remember from uh, a year ago, we went through a series on the importance of going back so we can go forward. Some of you have some major childhood wounds that have been festering. Now's the time where you can get healing for those. I know there's going to be an initial wave where we're all like, yes, like more time to watch Netflix shows. Um, and I get it. Like I've watched a couple this past week. I've also been playing a lot of uh, Pac-Man mini arcade with my son. I actually got a high score yesterday, 43,000. And so um, I get it. Um, I do want to say this. I don't, I don't want to cast stones at those who are playing video games and watching shows on Netflix. But I do want to say this. Um, a mindless binging out of boredom is going to waste this opportunity that God has given us. Um, one thing that you do not want to say when your grandkids ask you about this someday, and they will, when your grandkids come up to you and say, hey, how did you spend your time in the coronavirus? What did you do? You don't want to respond by saying, oh, I watched seasons one through four of The Great British Baking Show. Okay, And again, that's a great show, I'm sure. My wife loves it. My point is not to throw it under the bus, but the point is you do not want to mark this moment by the media that you consume. This is not a time for pointless binging but for godly immersion. Your schedule may never be this free again, so use your time wisely. Third, I would say this, let's continue to give financially. Um, I understand some of you, you're going to be impacted by the coronavirus, and you are going to miss out on some money that you've been getting, and you're not going to be able to give like you have been giving. We understand that. For others, you're not going to be impacted. And I would encourage you, while the money is still coming in, continue to trust God and continue to give. Ministry is still going to happen here. And in many ways, ministry is going to happen even more so through things like the launching of a benevolence team and a care team. And so we're going to depend on generous giving in order for us to do the ministry that we need to do. I saw um, a presidential report yesterday where Vice President Mike Pence was encouraging all churches to continue their support of financial giving to their local churches because it's going to be that beneficial and that crucial as we continue to 
try to meet the practical needs of others. So let's keep giving. And then finally, I would just say this, and I'll be done. Let's live with a spirit-led agility. Um, If every couple of days you get different information from us as a church about what we're doing or where we're going, that's because the information's changing rapidly and we're just trying to keep up. Um, some of you already know this, but we've compiled a, uh, a team of medical experts, uh, three doctors, and one of them is the CEO of a hospital who is uh, personally trying to give us the, the most up-to-date and correct information. That way we're not just going to clickbait news or we're not trying to you know, pull wisdom from Twitter. Um, so we're trying to get the best information we can so we can make good, sober-minded decisions. But sometimes, listen, that information can change overnight. And so we need to be flexible. The truth is the world that is now before us is different than the world that is behind us. And so we need to be flexible. We need to live with a spirit-led agility. To end this morning, the band is about to come back up, and they're going to lead us. And I just want to end with this as a word of encouragement. Let me just read this over you, and we'll be done. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I want you to hear me this morning. No matter who you are or where you come from or where you find yourself right now, God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Rather, God is with you right now, whether you realize it or not. You may be quarantined, but you are not alone. You're not alone. God is always there. He is always good. And that is why no matter what comes, if you are in Christ, you do not have to be afraid. Let's pray together. And then we'll sing another song. Father, I pray that you will build the faith of your church. I pray that you would shine the light of your love in us and through us. For those this morning who are hurt and sick and afraid, we pray for healing. We pray for protection. We pray for wisdom. God, we pray for a vaccine. We pray for our medical professionals that you would protect them throughout the world and you would provide them with everything they need to do their jobs well. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, not only to the new opportunities that we have before us right now, but to see, Jesus, you are as good and you are as beautiful as you say you are, that you are our living hope, you are our salvation, you are our protector, you are our everything. And it is in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.